Good evening. It is good to be with you this evening. And as always, I appreciate the opportunity to stand before you and deliver a message from God's Word. Um, if there's anything that I say or do this evening that you have questions about or you find to be contrary to God's Word, I would count you as a friend if you would come to me, hopefully in a kindly manner, and um, sit down and discuss that with me. Uh, appreciate uh, Brother Lee leading us in those songs and um, allowing us to stand. That always helps burn off those last-minute nerves. In the mid to late 1800s, um, there was a movement that came across the country known as the Spiritualist Movement. And this is not spiritualism in the biblical sense of righteousness, but rather spiritualism in the sense of um, consulting with the spirits of the world beyond. And this, this movement kind of took the, took the nation by storm at the time. Um, think about Saul consulting the Witch of Endor um, to, to speak to the dearly departed Samuel, and that's kind of the picture we're working with here. Um, and there were multiple people who were mediums who would hold these seances for great crowds, and people would flock to them. Um, they were almost the celebrities of the day. And um, one of the more famous groups who were doing this um, were the Fox Sisters. The Fox Sisters were these two sisters who claimed to be mediums, and they claimed to speak to spirits. And it all started in 1848 when um, Kate Fox was only 11 and her sister Maggie was only 14. And they claimed to be able to communicate with a spirit and the way they would communicate was they would communicate with something known as, as rapping. Um, no, these little girls were not dropping sick beats to the spirit realm, um, but rather rapping was a series of knocks that um, they claimed the spirit would use to communicate with them. You know, one knock means yes, two knocks means no, that kind of thing. Um, they... Many people were witness to these, to these rappings that would occur. Um, they brought it to their parents. Their parents witnessed it. Um, neighbors began to hear of it and began to witness it. And pretty soon, word got out. And one of their older sisters, who was about 20 years older than Leah Fox, she began to take the girls under her wing, and she became their manager of sorts and took them on the road. And for decades, they would have this traveling show where... They would hold seances, and you would hear all these knocking noises, and the spirits would answer your questions about your loved ones who had moved on before you to the next life. Um, this movement became so popular, it didn't stop just on a small level. There were literally millions of people in this nation alone who were part of this spiritualist movement. Um, and it went pretty high up, too. Um, Mary Todd Lincoln, the wife of then-President Abraham Lincoln, was famous for holding seances in the White House in an attempt to communicate with her son, Willie, who had died at the age of 11 from typhoid fever. Um, President Lincoln and some of his cabinet members were reported to have participated in these seances in the White House. Um, so it, it took the nation by storm at the time. Now, if you look at, I guess, the climate of the country in the mid to late 1800s, you can, you can see some reason behind why this would be appealing to people. Um, you think about what was going on in the country at that time. In the mid-1800s, slavery was at its peak, but at the same time, you had people in the abolitionist movement who were starting to oppose it. And eventually, 
that crescendoed, if you will, in the bloodiest war this country has ever experienced in the American Civil War. And you think about all the many, many lives that were lost. Everybody had someone they knew, someone they loved, who died as a result. And then even after that war, there's still so much turmoil in this country as it tried to heal, and so much pain and loss and suffering. So you can imagine how this movement that claimed to be able to communicate with your dearly departed loved ones took the nation by storm. Um, it kind of started to fizzle out towards the end of the 1800s, but had a little bit of a resurgence after World War I for some of the same reasons. So we understand why people were interested in this, um, but also the spiritualism and spiritualist movement kind of took a moral high ground as well. Um, there are lots of things that the spiritualist would support. Um, spiritualists typically were very pro-abolition, um, so they were fighting to end slavery. They were fighting for human rights. Most of the mediums of the spiritualist movement were women, and as a result, they began to fight for women's rights in this country. And then towards the end of the spiritualist movement, um, a lot of the mediums began to claim that they were speaking and communicating with spirits of Native Americans who had been tortured and murdered by the white man, and so they began to fight for Native American rights as well. So you can see the appeal, um, and they were fighting for good things. And I say this as a warning, just because something is fighting for what is good doesn't mean it is of God. And I'm reminded of Matthew 7, where Jesus says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. That's exactly what the spiritualist movement was. It was essentially witchcraft in an attempt to, to talk to, the, to those who were dead, but it had um, on the surface this, this sheep's clothing of, of supporting what was good. Um, I, think it's, I think it's interesting. Um, some people even claim to be reaching out to the spirits in an attempt to learn more about God and grow closer to him by communicating with the spirits who had been in his presence. Um, I think that's very ironic. It reminds me of a story um, way back in Genesis chapter 3 where a couple other people attempted to grow closer to God by striving after what was forbidden with Adam and Eve and that fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. And we see what happened as a result with that. Um, if you would turn to Acts chapter 5. When talking about something... Something as extreme as the spiritualist movement. I'm reminded of some fairly wise words that were spoken by Gamaliel in Acts chapter 5. If you remember Gamaliel, um, he was a Pharisee. He was part of the Jewish council. Um, he was very well respected, very well educated in the law. Um, his most famous pupil, at least in our eyes, would have been Paul, who became an apostle later. He studied at the feet of Gamaliel. But in the context of Acts chapter 5, here we have the apostles. They are boldly proclaiming this new gospel of Christ. And uh, the Jewish council is hating it. And here the apostles have been imprisoned. Um, right before we were about to read is where Peter and the apostles very boldly proclaimed we ought to obey God rather than men when they were told to quit preaching the word. But if we come down to verse 33 of Acts chapter 5. 
Here, Gamaliel is, is, is part of this Jewish council. In verse 33, they had plotted, they're furious and planned on killing the apostles. But Gamaliel speaks up. Verse 34, then one of the council stood up, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in respect by all the people, and commanded them to put the apostles outside for a little while. And he said to them, men of Israel, take heed to yourselves what you intend to do regarding these men. For some time ago, um, Theodos, uh, Theodos, there we go, Theodos rose up claiming to be somebody. A number of men, about 400, joined him. He was slain, and all who obeyed him were scattered and came to nothing. After this man, Judas of Galilee rose up in the days of the census and drew away many people after him. He also perished, and all who obeyed him were dispersed. Now I say to you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan, or if, if this is to the work of men, it will come to nothing. But if it is of God, you cannot overthrow it, lest you ever be found to fight against God. These wise words of Gamaliel saying that it is of God, there's nothing we can do to stop it. But if it is of men, it will eventually fizzle out just like every other plot of man has. And ultimately, that is what happened with the spiritualist movement. Now, I'm also reminded of John, 1 John chapter 4. Gamaliel might have been wise in what he was saying, but he was not exactly proactive in his approach, which is what we are called to be. In 1 John chapter 4, in verse 1, it says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Gamaliel was not exactly testing the spirits here, but rather letting things fall as they may. But we are called to test the spirits. And there were people in the time of the spiritualist movement who were doing that. Uh, one of the most famous was none other than the magician Harry Houdini. He was famous for going into all these different seances and exposing them as frauds. Um, he was very proud of his craft and he knew all the tricks of the trade, whether it be smoke and mirrors or all these little wires that people were pulling or foot pedals or knocking under the table. He knew all the tricks, and he went to many, many seances and exposed them for the frauds that they were. Um, even the Fox sisters that we started off with, they really spearheaded this spiritualist movement with their show and their seances. Um, towards the end of her life, one of the Fox sisters finally admitted that it was all a hoax. And um, originally, remember their ages, 11 and 14, um, the girls took a string and attached it to an apple and were pulling the string and making the apple knock on the ground. And they did it as a prank on their parents, but their parents believed it. And when they believed it, they took it and they ran with it. And then they started getting all this attention from all their neighbors and all this fame. And as they went on, took their show on the road, they began being paid for all these seances and um, they made a pretty successful career out of it. But it all started with a lie. Um, eventually, both the Fox sisters passed away, and it was well known that they were essentially friendless, and they died in poverty as a result of their fallout of being exposed. Now, why do I spend all this time talking about what is essentially a false doctrine that more or less died out 100 years ago? Well, one, I think there are lessons that we've already even talked about that can apply to most false doctrines and, and standing up to it, testing the spirits. 
But not only that, but this idea of spiritualism has once again peeked out its ugly head in modern society in a slightly different fashion. Um, but modern spiritualism is an epidemic that is plugging our society. And so that's what I want to talk to you about now for the remainder of our time, this modern spiritualism. So what is modern spiritualism? Well, if you've ever sat down with someone and talked to them about their beliefs, if you will, um, have you ever had someone say, well, I'm not really religious, I'm just spiritual. If you haven't yet, and the good Lord gives you time, I can just about guarantee you will be exposed to that. Um, I saw online that a recent census says that about one-fourth of the U.S. population claims to be religiously unaffiliated. What they mean by that is that they may be religious in some nature, but they're not affiliated to any denomination or even any specific religion. They just believe in something. A lot of these spiritual people will say, well, I believe that there is a higher power. You may call him God or Allah or Buddha or whatever, fill in the blank, or Mother Nature. Um, believe there is a higher power, but I don't put a label on him. And not only that, I believe in a higher you know, moral standard but it's not set in stone. We don't have a set of rules that we have to abide. We just need to kind of find our own way through life. That is this idea of just being spiritual. It's taking God's standard out of the equation. Um, if you think about it, we are all made in God's image. We are all essentially um, eternal spiritual beings of sort, but we're on this temporary pilgrimage through the physical, the physical world. Um, but that is something that is innate in us. If you would turn to Romans chapter 1, Romans 1, I think, deals with this very idea. In Romans 1, we see that God's invisible attributes are seen clearly around us in his creation. And that's what these spiritual people are, are, are clinging to. They see the evidences, but what they're doing with it is, is not looking for truth, but rather what suits them. But if we look in Romans chapter 1, if we begin in verse 18, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful, but they became futile in their thoughts, and in their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image like corruptible man, and birds, and four-footed animals, and creeping things." Um, this deals, I think, a lot with the idea of idolatry, but it also very much applies to this idea of spiritualism. Taking what is righteous and suppressing the truth and making it unrighteous. That is what spiritualism is, essentially. They believe that there is a higher power, but yet they refuse to accept the truth of his righteousness and his standards. And as a result... Um, they become, they become futile and foolish in their hearts, and they're darkened. Um, turn, if you would, over to James chapter 2. James 2, this is the passage that Micah read for us a minute ago. 
but speaks exactly to what we're talking about. James chapter 2, beginning verse 18. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God. You do well. Even the demons believe and they tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? This is what spiritualism is. It's the idea that they believe in a higher power. Maybe they even acknowledge that it is God. But they will not abide by his commandments. And without their works to support it, their faith is essentially dead. And I love what it says. It says, even the demons believe. And they tremble when it comes to God. To believe in God really doesn't mean a whole lot. Everyone should believe in God. But to follow him... That's what he he strives for. That's what he desires. And that's what spiritualism does not do. Um, And then turn, if you would, over to to 1 John chapter 2. God's invisible attributes are clearly seen so that people are without excuse. However, when they do make up these excuses, they're essentially lying to themselves, and there's great consequences for that. Um, The context of of 1 John and some of these other passages we are looking at tonight um, deal with the idea of of Gnosticism, which was very prevalent in that time in the 1st and 2nd century. When it comes to believing or not believing in God, you can kind of divide it up into four different categories. Um, First of all, there's theism. The theist says, I know there is a God. Hopefully we all fall into that category. Then there is atheism, which says, I know there is not a God. But in between, you have agnosticism, which says, I don't think there's a God, but I'm not 100% sure. And then you have Gnosticism, which says, I'm almost positive there's a God, but there's a slight chance there's not, and I really don't think there's any way we can know exactly what he wants us to do in this life. So just kind of make it up as you go. And that's what we're dealing with when it comes to spiritualism. That's what John was dealing with when he wrote this first, this first epistle here. So if you look at John chapter, uh, John chapter 2, 1 John, that is. 1 John chapter 2, and beginning in verse 15. Let's see, sorry. Beginning in verse 3. I'm getting ahead of myself. Beginning in verse 3. It says, Now by this we know, we know him, if we keep his commandments... He who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. These here are God's standards. This is the difference between obeying God and between kind of making up as you go, as the spiritualist would, would recommend. Um, if we claim to know God, it's impossible to truly know God and at the same time not keep his commandments. To be spiritual is to say, I know there is a God, 
but I'm going to make it up as I go, make up my own commandments, my own standards. And it's different for every person. But this verse says here, if we say, I know him and do not keep his commandments, we are a liar. We do not have the truth in us. And the spiritualist does not have the truth in them. It says that we must walk just as he walked, just as Christ walked when he was on this earth, living that perfect life. We must also walk that same walk if we wish to abide with him. And then if you drop down now to verse 15 of the same chapter. We see that we cannot love both the world and God. Beginning verse 15 it says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, um, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away in the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. It's impossible to love both the world and love God. Um, these three, these three you know, uh, things of the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life um, are prevalent throughout those who claim to be spiritual. Um, most of the time, people who claim to be spiritual are rather worldly in nature. Um, again, if you don't abide by God's commandments, you're just making up your own standard as you go, and that can mean anything. Um, if you have certain lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, why not indulge uh, whenever you're just making up your own rules? And especially this pride of life, I think that's a big one for those who are, who are spiritual in nature. Um, they have such a sense of pride that they don't, they refuse to bow down to God's standard. Um, and we see, I think that's the, that's the main thing when it comes to be spiritual. Um, to be spiritual is to love the things of the world, but yet still expect to have the rewards and the perks that come with being one with God. And you can't have both. Um, if you love God or love the world, you cannot love God as well. We see that these things will pass away, and so will the th- so will the people who practice the things of the world. Now we've kind of looked at it in a broad sense, um, and I want to end with thinking about spiritualism in the church. Have we in any way let spiritualism start to creep into the church? We already see around us in. And um, quote unquote churches around, we see this this great uh, movement of these community churches that are come as you are, um, and it's a speci- it, it, it's it's basically spiritualism um, just in the name of God. Um, it's this idea that we all love God, we all hold to these somewhat higher moral standards, but we don't hold to His specific commandments that we see in the Bible, His standards. Um, we even start to see. Um, a lot of times you'll see um, denominations as they start to get bigger. Their local congregation, it gets bigger and bigger, and eventually what do they do? They take the denominational name off the sign and because whenever you have something specific with specific standards, it appeals to less people. Um, and the question is, do we here in the church have the temptation to do that as well? Um, I think it goes without saying, the less standards we have, the more people we'll have in our congregation. So we have to be careful that we don't lower our standards below God's standards for the sake of the appeal of the masses. Turn, if you would, to uh, Revelation chapter 3.
Revelation chapter 3, and we're going to look at the example of the lukewarm church in Laodicea. And I think lukewarmness is essentially spiritualism. There's a lot of similarities at the very least. Um, so if we look at, at this, this church here, beginning of verse 14 of Revelation chapter 3. And it says, To the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither hot nor cold. I could wish that you were cold or hot, so that then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. To he who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne. And I will, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This lukewarmness that we see, it is essentially this, the same idea of this, of this spiritualism that we're talking about. Um, it says that um, Jesus here says, I, in verse 15, I know your works, that you are neither hot nor cold. Um, this harkens back to what we already talked about in James 2, that we show our faith by our works. And it's by our works we are known and by our works, we can essentially be condemned as well. To be lukewarm is repulsive in God's sight. It says, I will spew you out of my mouth. And what is spiritualism if not lukewarmness? Um, to say we love God, but to not do anything about it. Not to abide by his standards. We are neither hot nor cold. We will be spewed out of his mouth. In verse 17, they say, I am rich. I have become wealthy, and I have need of nothing. When you are spiritual, you say, I am rich. I have all I need. I don't need God's standards. I don't need anything beyond what I can provide for myself. And it is a very, very dangerous lie to be telling yourself. And we see, instead, they are um, wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. They are in a terrible, terrible shape. But God, of course, provides a way out for them. And he says in verse 19, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. God loves us all. If we do find this, this lukewarmness in our life, if we do find this spiritual, this spiritual ideology, but no, no substance to stand behind it. God, of course, is, is patient with us. He rebukes us through his word and I hope that we will repent and we will become zealous for him once again. And that is ultimately the goal. In verse 19, it says, Therefore, be zealous and repent. Change your ways, he is saying. That's one of the big problems of being spiritual. You see God. You may love God in some way, 
You may see his standards, but there is no repentance that comes with spiritualism. It's still abiding by your own standard. We see that God is our remedy. Um, And ultimately, we see repentance is available to all, and we see that the rewards that come with it are available to all. Verse 21, to him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. I'm reminded of the things that Jesus talks about in Matthew 6 on the Sermon on the Mount, where he talks about people who would pray on the street corners so that they would be praised by men. And it says they have the reward here in this life. Or those who are fasting to cause a big scene and be glorified, they have the reward. Well, the people who abide by this spiritual mindset and they march to the beat of their own drum by their own standards, they have the reward, and it's a very sad and temporary one here on this life. But God offers an eternal reward to those who will accept him, those who will love him, and in doing so, abide by his commandments. Verse 22, I always love this phrase whenever he's speaking to the churches. It says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. It's a call to attention, but not only that, this idea, he who has an ear, let him hear. Who doesn't have an ear? We all, this applies to all of us, and we should all listen, and we should all make application. So we've talked about it in a general sense, this idea of spiritualism. We've talked about how it may even um, be something that can work its way into the church and something to be watch, watchful of. And, of course, it is something that we need to be conscious of in our own lives, that it doesn't creep in that we don't start to let our own standards supersede those of God's. So at this point, I ask you to evaluate your own life. Um, Are you spiritual or are you a Christian in the fashion that God has commanded? Um, Do you put God first in your life? Have you put God first in your life? Is that a change that needs to take place? Um, If it is, uh, we invite you now. We, we have a baptistry ready, ready to baptize you into Christ to stop, start that walk with God. Or if it's something that you need to make change of in your own life and we can help in any way, we invite you to come forward as we stand and sing.